We find ourselves this morning in Colossians chapter 1. We have been going through this series of, of looking at the prison epistles and, and um, taking a very quick look at each chapter, kind of a shotgun look, and, and looking at a chapter at a, at a time. And we've done Philippians, we've done Ephesians, we start Colossians today. We'll go through these four chapters and then we'll do Philemon. So we'll do this for five more times as we are going through these prison epistles. I hope that you've learned some things. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been interesting doing this. Um, I've got to tell you the truth. I'm, I'm, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed doing the chapters, whatnot, but I'm ready to get back into verse by verse. So I'm excited. I've, we're, I'm committed to this five more weeks, and then we're going into something in depth. Um, so, uh, but I'm committed to do the chapter at a time thing. Colossians is a book, obviously, that was written by Paul. It was written to the believers in the city of Colossae. It was near um, the cities of Laodicea and Heropolis. We read about that in the book of Colossians. Paul never visited here. He did not know these people. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face. He he was not close to these people like he was to the folks who were in the church of, of, of Ephesus. Uh, he knew them. He loved them. He spent a lot of time with them. He did not spend time with them. So what that teaches us is kind of an interesting thing. It, it, it confirms the teaching of what the Lord said and what Paul said is that some plant, some water, some see the increase, some you know, don't see the increase, that Paul was doing his part. Just because he didn't plant the church doesn't mean he didn't love them. Just because he didn't plant the church doesn't mean he didn't want to see them grow. He did. And so he was willing to write this to them um, so that they would have some great insight into serving God. The main reason for Paul writing this to the church in Colossians was that he needed to warn, teach them, he needed to deal with some serious heresy, some false teaching that had arisen in this area. Basically what it was was what they called Gnosticism, which was a Greek philosophy that, that said this, knowledge was needed above and beyond, plus past Jesus Christ. The, the teaching of Jesus was incredibly simplistic, and we couldn't quite just buy that and move on. We needed knowledge beyond Jesus Christ, is what this teaching said. The other thing that this teaching did was it went into great detail that said God was good, spiritual things were good, physical things were evil. Well, you got a problem if you're going to believe that, with then understanding who Jesus Christ is, Emmanuel, God in flesh. And so they rejected that. And we'll see that's the reason why he goes into such detail about who Jesus Christ is in this particular book, because they did not believe that he was indeed God, because they said, if he's in the flesh, he can't be good, because physical things are evil. So they denied the deity of Jesus Christ, and Paul dealt with that. He dealt with that very clearly and he wanted to make sure that they knew that Jesus Christ was enough to be saved. Jesus plus nothing. Well, they believed it was Jesus plus other things. And so he was refuting that as he was rejecting this dangerous teaching. Colossians chapter 1, follow along as we read the whole thing. And again, think about there was a time when Paul sat down and penned these words. There was a time when a group of people who had heard about this guy named Paul gathered together because a letter had been delivered and it's from Paul. Let's see what he has for us. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, 
To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. Just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit for this reason also. Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance in the saints in light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labored, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul begins by greeting them as he does many of the people that he writes to. It's a pretty straightforward greeting. He simply says that I'm the one that's writing this. I'm an apostle, sent one. We've studied that before. To the saints, the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In verses 3 through 8, Paul talks about the importance of praying for other people. He says, we give thanks to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. This is something that we need to embrace. Paul prayed, and he prayed for others on a regular basis. 
We are busy. We have lots of things to do. We have a, a, a mountain of responsibilities and obligations, but we are never, never, never too busy to pray. Because you can pray at any time, anywhere, for any reason, about any topic. You can pray. And we need to be people of prayer. And Paul says, I have constantly been praying. I have constantly been giving thanks to God the Father for you. I am always praying for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. In other words, these were people who were of like-minded believers. They were the same. They believed what Paul believed. They were saved the same way. And Paul made that very clear in here. He said, our beloved brethren, Epaphras, was the one who, who planted this church and started this church and got it going. I know him and I know what he taught and I pray for you on a regular basis. We need to be those kinds of people. It, it would be a good thing for you as you drive from home to here on Sunday morning to pray for other churches in this area that you know are gospel-based churches. That'd be a good thing. Pray for those other churches. Pray for those other men that will be in the pulpit proclaiming the Word of God when you're also in church. It would be a great thing to be very faithful in praying for those kinds of churches. As you hear about what's going on around our nation and there are different things you hear about churches taking stands or churches in need, pray for those churches. Pray for other believers. Be people of prayer. And as you start talking to God, things will come into your mind to talk to God about. You don't have to have a list ahead of time. Start talking to God and God will bring things into your mind that you can pray about. It's a really good thing to talk to God on a regular basis and to continually pray for other believers. Pray for them. Talk to God for them on their behalf. We have said this before. It is one of the most amazing, remarkable things that God has said. I will work through the prayers of my people. God has said, listen, you belong to me now. I've saved you. I've given you the Holy Spirit. You're, you're in tune with me now. I want you to pray. I want you to come to me and talk to me on behalf of other people. It all work. What, do you realize the significance of the God of the universe saying, join me? Be a part of what I'm doing? Is that something or what? How often do we sacrifice the, the, the glory and the wonder of being a part of God simply because we just don't want to do it? Or we just don't think about it? Or we put it off or whatever it may be? God says, join me in this work. I'm going to work through your prayers. Be people who pray. Paul says we, we constantly, we constantly, we regularly are praying for you. I want you to notice what he says in verse 6 about these people in Colossians also, in Colossae. He says, you, you heard the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, just as it has been doing in you also. I, isn't it something that Paul understood that the gospel, just as it came to these folks, was also going out through all of the world, and it was constantly bearing fruit and increasing, just as it has been doing in you since the day you heard it. 
folks, you do not need to be all up in arms and all down and frustrated about what's going on in our world. God is still at work. God is still on the throne. The gospel is still going out. The gospel is still spreading. The gospel is still increasing. People are still getting saved. Believers are becoming faithful still and growing and serving God. God is still at work. He hasn't abandoned the world. He hasn't abandoned society, and it's not too much for him. It's still going on. It's a good thing. You can rest in God. You can rest in God. You want to wonder about troubled times? Read the Gospels and the Epistles. Those folks lived in some troubling times. It's always been going on. Okay? And sometimes we as Christians in the United States of America, we're wringing our hands and and we're all up in arms and we're all concerned and we're all worried. You know what? Life is going downhill. It is. It is. Society is getting worse. It really is. Just as the Bible said it would. But God is still at work. And the gospel is still going throughout all the world and it is constantly bearing fruit and it is increasing and it is, being, it is working in the lives of people around this world. Pray for them. Pray for those that are being persecuted. Pray for missionaries that are sharing the gospel. Pray for those that are in difficult world that, worlds that don't have the freedom that we have. Pray for other people and the gospel that is accomplishing great things. And don't let the news put you into a funk. Okay? God's in charge. God's in charge. Read the Word of God. Be encouraged. Okay? And then talk to God about what's going on in our world. Alright? That's a good thing to do. Alright? He's still in charge and He is still accomplishing some great things. Verses 9 through 12. Another one of the prayers of Paul. Every time we come to our prayer of Paul, we looked at the one in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, we looked at the one in Ephesians chapter 1, we looked at the one in Ephesians chapter 3. There's one in 1 Thessalonians 1, one in 1 Thessalonians 3. Amazing passages of Scripture. If you haven't written those down before, write them down. I'll give them to you one more time. Write them down. Go and read them. These are great places to be in the Word of God. Philippians 1 9 through 12 here. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. 1 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. And 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. The prayers of Paul. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. What are you praying for him, Paul? These people that you haven't met yet, these people that you don't know, these people that are out there in this world doing their best to live Christianity in a society where Christianity was outlawed, what are you praying for these people as they are struggling to get saved out of, out of a heathen society? What are you praying for these people that are doing their best to blend the Jewish and the uh, uh, Gentile cultures together and form a church? What are you praying for about these people that are being ostracized and kicked out of their communities because they're accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. What are you praying for these people that are struggling, Paul? He says, I pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the, with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I pray that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
I pray that you will please Him in all respects. I pray that you will bear fruit in every good work. I pray that you will increase in the knowledge of God, that you will increase and be strengthened with power according to His glorious might. I pray that you will attain to the steadfastness and patience. I pray that you will joyously give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints, who has changed you, who has redeemed you, who has put you out of darkness and into light. I pray those things. Now think about the prayers you pray for people and compare it to the way Paul prayed for these people. There is a time and a place to pray for those things we pray about when it comes to the physical issues of life. There's a time and a place. The Bible teaches that. You never want to stop doing that. Never. There's a time and a place to simply pray for those things that are on your mind because the Lord, the Lord still is saying, what do you want me to do for you? What's on your mind? You need to be praying for those things. But you need to not pray for those things at the expense of praying for these things. These are the kinds of things that you need to be including in your prayers as well. I have people all the time that say, you know, Pastor, I pray for you and Cynthia. Every day we pray for you. Regularly we pray for you. That is one of the coolest things in the world. You want to pray some significant things for me? Pray this right here. Go ahead. Pray this. This would be a great thing to pray for anybody you know in your life. Lord, I pray that that person that we're talking about will be filled with the knowledge of your will. I pray that that person would have great spiritual wisdom and understanding. I pray that that person today would walk in a manner worthy of you. I pray that that person today would please you above all things in all respects. I pray that that person today would bear fruit in every good work as that person serves you. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a great work, that that person would increase in his or her knowledge of you. And that that person would be strengthened with power. The power that is in him or her because of Jesus Christ. I pray that that person would come to a point where they are steadfast and patient. Where they are joyously giving thanks to you for all things. You want to make an impact? Pray that prayer. Pray it for me. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for people you know. Go to Philippians, go to Ephesians, go to Thessalonians, and pray those prayers for people. These we, we have been given in the prayers of the New Testament a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable golden opportunity and insight into Paul and prayer and God and what it's all about. Are you praying these things for other people? Are you praying these things for yourself? These are incredibly important, significant prayers. We need to follow Paul's lead and pray like this. Verses 13 through 23. This is one of the greatest passages of Scripture in all the Bible. We are going to look at it incredibly quickly as we've been going through this, but these are some amazing, amazing doctrinal truths. Amazing doctrinal truths. It's just phenomenal what we read in these verses. We're going to break it down and do it a little differently today. Rather than going through and looking at the different verses, 
I've broken it down into some categories about who God is, our place and our standing before Him, our redemption, uh, our forgiveness, the payment, uh, the future, the life of now and tomorrow. And, and there's a lot of verses that are repeated as we go through that, but, but that's how we're going to do it, and we're going to look at these verses, and we're going we're to build this incredibly beautiful thing about what it is that, that Paul says about Christ and what Christ has done for us and who we are in Jesus Christ. So the first one is who he is, who he is. Well, we, we learn about who he is in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He is God, and He is the firstborn of all creation. He is above everything. Verse 16, For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He created it all, and He says at the end of it, through Him and for Him. It's been created for Him, by Him and for Him. Verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I know that we have mentioned that previously, recently, the idea that life is held together by Jesus Christ. And the moment that Jesus Christ decides not to hold it together anymore, it goes flying apart. And it's going to blow up and explode. and It'll be a mess. But as long as he holds it together, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. By his power, this world is what it is. It says that he's the head of the body, the church. It says that he's the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will have come to have first place in everything. He is above all things. He is the best. Verse 19, It was the Father's good pleasure for the fullness to dwell in Him. He is God, and there is no doubt. Well, our place, our standing, who were we before we had an encounter with this God? Verse 13, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Verse 21, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, you need to understand spiritually that's who you were before Christ. And for those who don't know Jesus Christ, that's who they are now. In the domain of darkness alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. There is good and there is evil. There is God and there is Satan. And there is no in between. And that's who we were. That's where we were. This passage talks about His rescue of us. Verse 13, He rescued us. You did not climb out of that hole on your own. You did not have superior ability. You did not have greater knowledge. You did not have better insight so that you were able to redeem yourself and get out of that mess. He rescued you. Jesus Christ plucked you out of that mess. Jesus Christ rescued you. Verse 20 says this, And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through His blood of His cross, through Him, I say, whether things on earth, or things in heaven. He reconciled all things. He reconciled you and the Father through His blood that He shed on that cross. There is no reconciliation without the blood. There is no peace without Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Verse 22, Yet now He reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless beyond reproach. 
that he did this in his body through death. He paid the price. We need to be reminded regularly that it costs a lot for Jesus Christ to do this for us. In this passage, we read about his redemption. We read about his forgiveness. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Redeemed, we sang this morning. What a great song. Redeemed. Redeemed, and I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We're redeemed. We're bought back. And the price of being bought back was His death and His blood. We're redeemed. And it says that we have been granted the forgiveness of sins. That which separated you from God has been done away with. That that caused that massive gulf between you and God is done. It's over. Forgiveness of sins. You've been forgiven. As a believer in Jesus Christ, as one of the redeemed, you've been forgiven. There is nothing you can do to separate yourself from God. You belong to Him. There is nothing that you can do that will make God so irritated, so disappointed, so disgusted with you that He will turn His back and leave you alone. You've been forgiven. You've been made new. You've been redeemed, the Bible says. Verse 20. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through His blood of the cross, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He did this for us. Verse 22, and I know we've seen these before, but they're different topics now. Yet He has reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless above reproach. He did this for you. He rescued you. He forgave you that He might present you holy and blameless. What a remarkable God. The payment, we've already talked about it. It's found in verses 20 and 22. It was His death, the blood of Jesus Christ. Never forget that it cost something. God could have set it up whereby He, 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 he had every person stand before Him and He snapped His fingers. You, 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 you. He could have done it that way. He's God. He didn't do it that way. He set it up in a way that we can trace all the way back into the very beginning of the Bible where He said that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He set it up in the Bible that He said there requires a sacrifice for sin. Innocent lives have to be given up. Blood has to be shed for sin. And He was consistent with that throughout the Old Testament and then in the New Testament... He said, I am the Lamb of God and I will die on the cross. And he shed his blood for that very reason. We can never forget that that's what he did. Verse 19 is the plan. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. The Father said, let's do it this way. Let's, let's have Jesus come to earth and be God in flesh. Jesus will be the Lamb of God from the moment 
and actually before the moment when Adam and Eve did what they did and death came into the world because of what they did, it was already part of the plan, the good pleasure of the Father to see Jesus Christ give up the throne, give up glory, and come to earth in that, that incredibly tiny existence of brand new life in the womb of, of Mary. To grow in that womb. And to be born as we've all been born. And to be a helpless infant. And to grow and to learn as a boy. And to become a man and have a public ministry. And then to willingly give his life and allow them to beat him. And to whip him. And to torture him. And to nail spikes through his feet and through his hands. And to hang on that cross beaten and bloodied, and the Bible says that he was unrecognizable as a man. And then to say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. For him to say, it is done, it is finished, the price has been paid. And for him then to die, but then to be alive forevermore. That was the payment. That was the plan. How Deep is the Father's love for you that you would be part of that plan. How amazing is that? Verse 22 talks about the future. I referred to this already also. He has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. Of all that he's doing now, there's more that he's going to do. He's going to present you to the Father, holy and blameless, but beyond reproach. <laughs> How amazing is that? It doesn't matter whether you have done what you should have done to mature, how you should have matured or not. He's going to make you holy and blameless because it's all about him. The incomparable Christ. In verse 23, it, it says this, If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and in which I, Paul, was made a minister. So, as you go through verses 13 through 22, in fact, let's read that real quick. Just follow along. For he rescued us from the d- domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having, been, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him, holy and blameless, and beyond reproach. And God knows that life is frustrating. 
And God knows that there are all sorts of irritants on this earth. And God knows that it's hard to steady, continue and steadily go along and do your thing. And God knows that sometimes you think, God, it doesn't seem fair what's going on in this world. I'm doing all of this and yet I'm not getting any of this. And I get that and this and they and the other thing. God understands that. And after explaining to us all that Jesus Christ has said, He says, continue firmly. Be established and steadfast and do not move away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was proclaimed to you that made all of these things apply toward you that were talked about in the previous verses. Don't give up on God because life is hard. Look what He did for you. Look what He's done. Is life fair? No, he said it wouldn't be. Is life hard? Yeah, he said it would be. Are there betrayals? Yeah, all the time. Are there things that go on that you think shouldn't happen to you because you've been doing your best to do the right thing? Yeah, probably daily. Are you tested and tried maybe by Satan himself? Yeah, all the time. Do you have people that, 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 that sin, that create all sorts of nasty, evil consequences? that mess up your life? Yeah. Life's hard. And Jesus said it was going to be hard. And then he gives us passages like this and he said, let me tell you, let me tell you about Jesus Christ and how you fit in with this. And use those eyes of faith you have to continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not being moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, am a minister. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't stop. Make sure you continue because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Is that a great passage? That's just, you can just read that every day. That's a good passage. That's amazing stuff. And you're, you're part of it as a, saint, as a believer. Well, Paul goes on, and he continues to share with us some amazing things in these verses. 24 and beyond, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to the saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Now, that very thing should cause us to hoop and holler and shout hallelujah and fall down on our face and worship Jesus Christ. But we're so used to it, we just move on. Christ in you. We just read about who He is and what He did. All of the references to Him being the Creator and how all things were made for Him and for His glory and He holds everything together. And then Paul says, let me tell you, 
I've been a minister of the gospel, and I've suffered some, but that's all right. Because the body is supposed to suffer some when they proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. And I have done that, but I've been doing that because I have been declaring the mystery which has been hidden from times past. The, 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 The nation of Israel didn't get it. They didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to them. And he says, but now it's made sense to you, the saints, that God has decided to make it known to you. This is a mystery no longer. Christ in you. God lives inside of you. Jesus Christ is inside of you. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. Now really, aren't you ashamed about what you've been doing? Aren't you a little disappointed in yourself with what you've been thinking? Christ lives inside of you. Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The creator of the universe lives inside of you. Christ in you. You didn't come here this morning because there's some idol set up in this building so that you could be close to God. You came here because God is inside of you and he, and he encourages you and wants you to gather together with other believers. Christ in you. You don't have to make some trip across the United States or around the world in order to find the place where God lives. Christ in you. He lives inside of you. I can't get a handle on that. Can you get a handle on that? God lives inside of you. We talked in Sunday school about how do we make sure that we are listening to him properly so that we can do what we need to do. And, and, and by and large, the answer was we need to get rid of the clutter and the sin in our lives. It might be that we don't recognize or we don't sense or we don't realize that Christ lives in us because there's so much clutter. It might be time to clean out the closets of your life. Because Christ lives in you. God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. You're not a kid, and that's the hope of glory. It's the greatest thing we have. Christ in you. Now, how petty is all that stuff that you've been struggling with recently? How ridiculous is all that stuff that you've been letting overwhelm you recently? Christ in you. Let's look at some verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. 
Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you failed the test? What's, what's Paul saying? If Christ lives inside of you, you know it. You know it. And if you're reading this and you're thinking, well, I don't know, Kent. I, again, clean out the closets of your life. Get rid of the clutter. Get rid of the sin. Get rid of all the junk that is overshadowing and overpowering and shoving Christ down into the corner. Get rid of that stuff. Because this matters. Christ in you. I mean, we say all the time how amazing it is that God created this world and how beautiful and gorgeous it is. And you look up at night and you see the stars and you just are overwhelmed with God and His work. Christ in you. That makes everything else pale in comparison. Pale in comparison. That the God of the universe has taken up residence in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at what it says, beginning in verse, let's do 5. All of this chapter is good. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure. What treasure? We have the treasure that the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God, uh, of of the glory of God in the face of Christ, is Christ in us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. You know why God takes up residence in weak, broken down, inconsistent, sinful creatures so that the glory will be His and not man's. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Go home today. Wander through your house. Look around at all the things that you consider treasures. Then open up your Bible and read 2 Corinthians 4-7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know what matters in life? Christ in you. Christ in you. I think I've said all that I need to say this morning. Christ in you. Father, we are overwhelmed when we consider this great thing. Christ in us. (laughs) That you 
have done a work and redeemed us. You have rescued us. That Jesus Christ lived on the earth as a man, conquered death, and said, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit to those that are saved while they live on this earth. We can't even hardly comprehend that, Father. That's beyond us. And that's what you've done. You have chosen us and given us Christ. He lives inside of us. Forgive us. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our arrogance and our pride. Forgive us for our unwillingness to put you at the forefront of life. Forgive us for the clutter that overwhelms you. Forgive us for the lack of willingness and submission. Forgive us for the bad choices. Forgive us that we haven't lived our lives in a different way because Christ is in us. Change us. Grow us and use us for your glory. We worship you, we adore you, we praise you and we thank you that Christ is in us. We pray this in his name.